Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. Imagine you have the world by the tail. You have everything you want and everything you need. You live in a great city with great people. You have a great job, an amazing wife, and amazing friends. Yet it all leaves you all thinking, is there more? Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you think you have everything. You own everything. You need nothing. You need no one. Either way, God is a way of grabbing hold of you and getting your attention. For our guest today, life got to be a lot bigger than him. Ward Bram is an entrepreneur for life from Minnesota. He has a passion for life and a passion for the poor in Africa. He loves Jesus and his wife, Chris, and he has a story to tell, and I wanted you to hear it. Ward Bram, welcome to I Work For Him. What prompted you to put your life in writing? Well, actually, I I really never intended for this to be a book originally, Jim. I, I have a number of medical issues, and I got to thinking, uh, theoretically, if if I knew that I only had ten years to live, uh, what what would I would it change my life? And the answer was a resounding yes. And then when I pressed in on myself and said, "Well, how would it change?" That became a much more complicated answer. But but one of the one of the things that came out of that was I would I would gather my adult children. Uh, my family around me, and I would try to download everything that I could as it relates to things that are important to me, issues of life that are that are really important that oftentimes you know we don't talk to anybody about uh, and 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 so it started out as a memoir, and then a few friends here in Minneapolis read the the original manuscript and and, and encouraged uh, it, it to take the direction of a regular of a regular book. You had quite a successful career, Ward, in in brewing a successful business with lots of influence in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Yet God caused you to stop, to pause with your first trip to Africa. What did God want from you first and foremost? Well, I think what happened to me and I think happens to a lot of people that experience a measure of success in their first half of their life is by the age of 40, I had accomplished uh, every goal that I'd ever set for myself. Uh, in fact, if I if someone would have told me that I'd have achieved, achieved those goals by 40, I'd have signed, signed a contract saying I'd be happy forever, you know, the American dream. And what I realized was, and one of the blessings of having experienced, uh, again, a measure of success, is that I was uh, I wasn't happy, and I, I and I couldn't figure it out. You know, most people I think are under the illusion that if they got uh, one more promotion, if they won the lottery, if they if they achieved their goals, that they would be that they would be happy. But once you achieve those, you realize uh, there is something more. I didn't know what that was, but I had this strong sense. I, I describe it as a smoldering discontent. Uh, and, a, and, and a deep level of angst. And coincidentally, I no longer believe in coincidences, by the way. My, <laughs> my, pa- my, past, my pastor asked me uh, in one of my, at, that, at the time it was very infrequent that I go to church. 
but I did, and my, my pastor, uh, since I was a child, uh, out of the blue, invited me to go to Africa with him, and it was, it was, uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, there was no, no way I was going to go to Africa, particularly with him. Uh, he said, pray about it, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, you're the pastor. You pray about it. I'll think about it. I didn't even know what he was talking about. And, uh, and, I, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, and two months later I found myself with a ticket to Ethiopia uh, in my hand. I think, I think in terms of God's plan for me, that was the beginning of uh, a great humbling. I, at, when I was 40 years old, I figured I knew everything. I had the answers. I had the answers to life's questions, uh, and in the process of of being so full of myself uh, and focused on myself, you know, I had, uh, unbeknownst to me, become a jerk. Uh, and when I went to Africa, uh, God God used that amazing experience, uh, twenty five thousand miles away, and probably a million light years. Uh, away from my comfort zone uh, to show me people who had achieved that peace that I was looking for, people who who had that uh, personal uh, countenance. Uh, happiness is too condescending a word. But these are people living in situations and circumstances and in poverty that we can't even imagine. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you, this is no ordinary man. God used Ward Brem in amazing ways, and he's an amazingly humble man to be on I Work for him today as he has touched the lives of people across the globe and, and yet been in the presence of multiple multiple times with the presidents of the United States. Ward Brem, welcome back to I Work for him. Thanks, Jim. All right, so let's go back to that night, that night when you're in Africa, when you see in these people an, a, a piece that passes all understanding, and you're going, hey, they got what I want, yet they don't have any of the stuff that I have. And, and you're like, I, I, something's got to change. Tell us about that night. Well, I was having a difficult time, as a lot of people on their first trip to sub-Saharan Africa, particularly the rural sections, do because it was so hard to relate with what I saw. The poverty was on an obscene scale. Uh, the medical facilities nearly non-existent. And what happened to me, Jim, is I, I, we were driving along this dusty road, and I saw a little girl on the side of the road carrying a ridiculously heavy bundle of sticks for firewood back to her village, which is probably five miles away. And I had them stop the car, and I got out of the car, and I knelt down next to this little girl staring into these eyes. She was terrified of this guy that was like I dropped down to Mars. But, but uh, she was four years old. This The rope that connected the logs uh, sticks to her back, cutting into her tiny little chest. And, and I couldn't help but compare the life of this child to my own daughter, who was four years old back in, in Minneapolis. And it, I, I could almost hear the cracking sound of my heart. It just, it just, it just broke my heart and and that little girl led me about uh six or seven hours later around a uh a, a bonfire again in the in the middle of a desert in rural ethiopia uh where i finally just, i had no idea what i was there i had no idea what i was doing i had no idea what was going forward and i and i literally just got down on my knees and and i spoke uh to Jesus for the first time in my life, really, 
I mean, I've, I've been brought up a cultural Christian, but it, it really didn't have any impact on my life. And now I prayed to that Jesus and said, I don't know why I'm here, but I suspect you have a hand in it. And uh, for the rest of this time I'm here, which is a five-week trip, I am going to surrender. I'm just going to give it up. I'm not going to be uncomfortable. You can do anything that you want with me during this period of time, and, I'll, and, I, and I'm not going to complain. And it, almost instantly, it was, I did experience that peace that surpasses all understanding. In fact, it was so strong, I didn't want to go home. This, it, this trip to Africa was the paradigm it it almost turned your it it was your halftime experience it 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 was and and everybody's heard me talk about the book halftime and the ministry halftime on this show dozens of times because that book halftime changed my life but this was your halftime experience because you could look at your life before africa and after africa and and they were completely different lives aren't they absolutely so Uh, so how what did the Lord have in mind for you in Africa? What what was next? When you got back and a year later you gave your life to, to, to Jesus, what did the Lord have in mind for you? Well I think I think he used that first trip uh to humble me. I ha I didn't I, I didn't know how to spell humble when I was forty years old and I came back and, and started to wonder you know, what else don't I know anything about? And and started to have some of these big uh, some of these big questions. I had always felt in the, somewhere deep in, deep in my soul that I would give back at some point, that I would, that I'd make a contribution, but I always thought that that would be really boring. I just, I just had pictures of, uh, you know, casseroles and church basements and slideshows and none of that <laughs> was true. Uh, uh, although I, I do, the interesting thing is I enjoy those things now, but, uh, but what I found was once I had been humbled, uh, probably the most significant thing that happened to me, I met with a mentor of mine, Doug Cole, in Washington, D.C., uh, who had heard about some of the things that we were doing, building water, uh, water pumps in northwest Kenya and other things. And, and he asked me point blank, if you, were, if you were God, how would you help all those poor people over there? I mean, there are all these poor people that are just suffering and living miserable in miserable conditions. If you were God, what would you do? And I'll never forget it, Jim. My mind went completely blank. I, I can't imagine the expression I had, and I just kind of mumbled, I don't know. And he, he kept after me, and finally I got kind of mad, and I said, well, you be God. You tell me, what would you do? And he said, I'd change the hearts of the leaders. And when he said that, the truth of that statement resonated in every bone of my body. If, if you can change the leadership in these African countries, uh, y- you can turn a country around uh, from, from uh, abject poverty to prosperity, not over generations, but in a few years. Mm. And so my, my, it, it's, what, it's what got me involved in Washington, D.C. A year later, I took uh, Senator Dave Durenberger uh, with me to Africa, uh, both to the rural aspects uh, and projects that we were working on, but then also to the capitals where we met with the heads of state and other people in leadership positions. And that, and that really started Chapter 2 of, uh, of, of, of my life in Africa, which was working with African uh, leaders regarding the principles and precepts of Jesus among uh, those with political, uh, you know, racial, tribal differences. But that silent time had to make it a lot easier 
to know what to say when you got that call that one day from the president of the United States. What 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 did the president of the United States want with Ward Brim? Well, at first I thought it was a joke. You know, the White House is high in line for <laughs> Yeah, I got uh, friends like that, too. I, I do. I totally get that. But it wasn't. And, and, and it, uh, the, I was asked to, to be the chairman of the United States Africa Development Foundation, which is a very small, might be the smallest U.S. government agency there is, but it's a very potent agency because unlike USAID and, 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 and uh, all of the rest of the aid that our country does overseas, this one, doesn't, this one reports to Congress uh, and to a board of directors. So it's very entrepreneurial. I, I'd never heard of it before. Um, but uh, uh, once I discovered what it, what it was, uh, it, it has become just a wonderful tool for helping Africans help themselves. Uh, you know, I, I often say, if you were poor, wouldn't you want somebody to ask you your strategy for not being poor anymore? You know, usually it's top-down, dropping money on things. And, and in our quest to be helpful, we rob the people we're, we're called to serve of their dignity and respect. And, and this provided us uh, an opportunity to greatly expand both the reputation and the growth of this particular little agency. With the USADF, as you represented the United States Africa Development Foundation all over the continent of Africa, what kind of kingdom impact, what kind of difference were you able to make with the money that we were given? Well, you know, one of the problems with poverty in Africa is that a lot of the strategies that we use uh, don't solve it. So trillions of dollars have been poured into Africa over the last 30 years, and people are still poor. Uh, one success story is microenterprise, uh, where small uh, loans are given to groups of people, usually women, who then uh, each use that capital to buy a sewing machine, and once they've been able to repay it, it goes it, it, it cycles around again and again and again. So what we did is we took that, we put it on steroids and said, well, what if we had, what if we put together a hundred of these women's groups that are making these lovely high quality baskets in Ghana and we'll sell them to Target. Uh, and, and so that we can really link these people among the poorest in the world with, in this case, one of the classiest retailers. Uh, in the world, and we were able to we were able to prove uh, that these women, number one, that the products that they could create were were uh, of a world class standard, uh, and that by uh, forming co-ops and and putting themselves together into larger organizations, uh, they could actually create enough uh, capital and build jobs with with uh, with wages that can allow them to live a decent life. You know, I think the best way to, for me, in my experience, the best way to bring the gospel to someone uh, is to help them unconditionally, regardless of, of who they are or who I am, Be- mm. because the, the, mo- the most powerful witness there is is when, is when someone asks you the question, why are you doing this? And my response is always, I'm doing this as a result of God's calling on my life. And uh, I'm not. I'm not doing this to feel good about myself. Uh, I feel as though God has called me to uh, help in these communities. And when people see, uh, when people see, particularly people in the that have been in the field for for years, the dedication that they have, you know, the question: Why would you? Why are you here? 
why aren't you home comfortable in America? You know, why are you spending your life? Why would anybody come here? Uh, and the answer, of course, is because they've been called by God to be there. And even more startling is, you know, I'm the happiest. I'm the most content that I am ever in my life when I'm, when I'm in the roughest, toughest of, of, uh, circumstances in Africa because I feel as though I, I, I'm in play as it relates to this uh, peculiar calling that God gave to me. It was seven years ago. <clears throat> we just returned from a ski trip. My wife had a bump on her abdomen, uh, went into the hospital, uh, had some MRIs and so forth. We're blessed here in Minneapolis to have the Mayo Clinic just a few hours away. Uh, and she was uh, diagnosed with uh, with terminal, with terminal cancer. It was a large tumor that had, that had, uh, that had metastasized into half of her liver, uh, totally inoperable. And they sent us home, uh, saying that she had a few weeks, uh, to live. And so, so we, uh, obviously a tremendously difficult time. The blessing in it was, uh, she was going to die. Uh, we had our whole family gathered. I mean, it, I, 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 I can't describe the sadness. I didn't even know what it was. Someone later just told me it's grief. Uh, but the sadness had no limits. The sadness was bottomless. But nevertheless, we had a very strong feeling, very strong sense, uh, reality that everything was going to be okay. Even though she was going to die, it was somehow going to be okay. So we, so we missed all the normal emotions that go with a with a terminal diagnosis there was no anger resentment uh none of that uh, this, there was sadness um and what what we realized was i guess the biggest takeaway jim for me is that i i, I no longer like the word faith I, I i think it's a very benign word it, it can mean everything it can mean nothing you know you got a strong faith uh, how is your faith uh but when you substitute the word faith for trust, it's powerful. And so it called the question, uh, first to my wife, Chris, and second to me, is do you trust Jesus? And what I can say is up to that point, I don't know how I'd answer that question because I'd never had to trust him before. And I trust myself, but I'm, I'm not in a position where, where I literally had to trust my wife's uh, dying into the hands of, of Jesus. Uh, and I did, and again, we experienced that peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, this doesn't happen often, but we were given a miracle, and inoperable. We, they lifted up a genius uh, physician, He's, his Dr. Nagorny, also known as the magician, who agreed to give, the, to give it a shot, said it, the chance of success was unlikely, but that he would do the operation, and they removed the cancer, and, and she was pronounced cured. Uh, five years later, um, but it was uh, uh, singularly uh, one of the most impactful things that ever happened to us. And it really, it, it, it basically proved it, it proved to me that I could trust uh, Jesus. You've been listening to the I Work for Him radio program with your host Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace is my mission field, but ultimately, I work for Him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at iworkforhim.com. Stay connected and receive power-packed content 
when you sign up for our blog at iworkforhim.com or follow us on social media at iworkforhim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at iWorkForHim and online, iWorkForHim.com.